morning. <clears throat> really nice to see you all. It's nice to see children here. That's lovely. <laughs> Feel free to... Raquel, feel free to creep back in if you want. It's really informal, yes. okay? That's really nice. So we're, uh, <clears throat> we're 10 days into Lent. Who knew? Uh, and if you're someone who gives up something for Lent, uh, you may be feeling quite pleased with yourself. Uh, you might be doing it really seriously. Um, or you may feel you've got some failure to confess. Well, you know, you can do that over coffee if, if that's necessary. But today, as we come to communion, I want us to reflect on Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness of giving up food and other normal comforts and of his endurance of the big attack, the devil coming at him with three temptations. Well, temptation is an ever-present reality for each one of us, isn't it? If we're really honest, in all kinds of ways, whether it's Lent or not. And so we're going to have a little bit of a look at that. I want to just say that um, what I've been doing this Lent is reading, uh, using this book, The Word in the Wilderness. It's a poem a day by Malcolm Guy. He's one of my favourite authors at the moment. And I'll be, to some extent... A little bit of this book has informed some of my thinking for our reflection this morning. So I'm going to read the account of the temptations of Jesus from Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus. Now, then is important because what it is referring to is the fact that Jesus has just been baptised. So it's coming immediately after that. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you all these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give them to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If 
you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot against a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures say, you must not test the Lord your God. So Jesus becomes physically hungry and in that weakened condition endures a sustained and seductive season of temptation. What it is possible to overlook, but which is indicated from that word then, is that he has just emerged from his baptism, full of the Holy Spirit, with the affirmation also of God the Father. Do you remember? He came up from the waters. You are my beloved, dearly loved son. You are my dearly loved son. So if you think about what the devil was saying to him, even before the devil was making certain specific suggestions... There's that if, if you are the son of God. He's just heard that he is. That affirmation from God the Father. You're my dearly loved son. If you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. It's subtle, isn't it? But that temptation to disbelieve and that... We're so familiar with that. Do you recognize that in your life? We're really sure about God. We're really sure about our faith. We're really sure about walking with him. And then there's that if. And it creates a situation in which we might fall to the later temptation. But you see, it's the spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit from his baptism. And it's the spirit who leads him into the wilderness. And I see no reason to believe that the Spirit left him. The Holy Spirit was there with him in the wilderness. Jesus, as God, has been in eternity past in communion with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, harmony. And they've been planning the salvation of the world. And now the moment has come. Planned in eternity, now about to work its way out in time and space. So when the temptations come to Jesus, real and enticing and distressing as they are to the human Jesus, he is spiritually strong and sure. He is also God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I think this account is really awesome. It's like it was so many aspects of scripture, but it's really clear here how it can be read on two levels. Jesus, as the perfect human being, giving us an example to follow of how to resist temptation. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, we read... This high priest of ours, Jesus, understands our weaknesses. 
for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. But Jesus is also God. And that's what's going on here in the wilderness. A cosmic battle between God and Satan, between good and evil, on behalf of the whole human race. The practical, on earth, work of redemption has begun. Jesus resisted these temptations for you and me. There's a real sense in which he did that for us. We'll come back to that in a little bit more detail in a bit. So, But first let's notice <clears throat> that the devil is not tempting Jesus to do anything other than what he was actually already planning on doing. So if you think about it, the key elements of the mission of Jesus were, first of all, to reach out to the sick and the hungry, to heal and to feed. He came to meet physical need. He did a great deal of that in the three years he was on earth. He touched needy people just where they were as broken human beings. So the change the stones into bread... It's very well connected with the mission of Jesus. That's what he was doing. He was going to be doing some of that. The second thing was, Jesus came to make it possible for all the people of the world, no matter what kingdom, the whole earth, no matter what earthly kingdom they were part of, to come to him and be reconciled to God through him. That was his mission. Worship me, and they're all yours for free. He came to proclaim his messiahship, to be the saviour of the world. We'll jump off the pinnacle of the temple, and the maximum number of people will get that message really easily. The temptations were real and seductive. It's like Satan is saying, your mission is great. I just know an easier way. But Jesus is the bread, the living water, the light, the word. And it's only going to be via the cross that salvation will come to the human race. And God's kingdom on earth will be born. So you see, in refusing the tempter, these specific temptations, Jesus is fully embracing the way of the cross. But these temptations, brutal as they were and are, have hope within them. What we see here is that the devil is but a shadow. All he can do is pretend to offer the good things that come from a holy good God. In the wrong way, for the wrong reasons, cheap imitations 
of what God offers. That is always his way. Jesus refuses to change stone into bread. But later in his ministry, in that very same wilderness, he multiplies a few loaves, enough to feed the crowds. He does that miracle. The devil's paltry suggestion would have been nothing in comparison with the beauty and wholesomeness of that later miracle, after which Jesus tells his disciples, I am the bread of life. This first temptation is a good example, isn't it, of the insistent and straightforward temptation we are all thoroughly familiar with. The temptation to pander to our bodily needs and appetites. We get that all the time, don't we? I shouldn't really. Oh, but go on. Oh, well, I'll just have one more chocolate. Another drink. Another half hour in bed. Another shopping spree. Another more serious things. Hang on, what does Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone. We just really need to hear these words. As we live, we live, don't we, in a society dominated by consumer culture. We're all infected by it. Come on, you can have what you want to satisfy your every desire and you can have it now. No need to wait. And when you have this, it will make all the difference. You will feel better, do better, be admired more. Hang on. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the Matthew account, that's what Matthew adds. We have spirits as well as bodies, and our spirits need feeding. We just know that. We are starving people if we don't feed our spirits. If we don't feed by God's words of life and love and joy and peace and wholesomeness, we get starved. And we know that. And I think most human beings actually know that. In overcoming the temptation to change stones into bread, Jesus broke open the ground of our hearts so that we have real choice. It's possible. It's possible to choose to feed our souls. The second temptation is a deeper temptation to serve not just our creature comforts, but our egos. That need to be in control, to protect and project ourselves. I've been mulling over this week. What does it mean for me to be tempted to dominate the kingdoms of this world? I think there's a really interesting discussion to be had there. It's personal to each of us, but in this 
in this sort of area of human behaviour, it impacts negatively on human society at all levels, through the family, through organisations, including the church, and onto the state and internationally. Really, if you think about it, much chaos and deep sadness in the world is because people pander to the temptation to feed their ego, to go with their egos. But it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that when my identity is firmly rooted in Christ, that that's where my confidence, my surety comes from, my self-esteem. Well, I don't need to feed my ego. And the third temptation sees Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple, the temple, the place where Messiah is going to come. Jesus had come as Messiah. And the temptation is, why don't you just present yourself as Messiah? Clearly and convincingly, for the largest audience possible, Make a splash. Get the whole show on the road off to a really dramatic start. It's the temptation to go for style over substance, and that is very much understating it in this context. It's been really interesting. I'm thinking about this one, the temptation to go for style over substance. Again, I think it's really interesting discussion, which maybe you'll have over coffee or in your life groups. I've noticed recently that Steve has been talking and praying about doing God's kingdom work with what we have in our hands. Yes, we'd like a bigger group of talented musicians. Yes, We'd like a better ambience on a Sunday evening. Yes, wouldn't a town centre outward-facing building in Newbury, wouldn't it be wonderful? And yes, wouldn't it be great to have more people stepping up to stand shoulder to shoulder for the work? But it's so easy for us as individuals, but for the church, to get diverted with the method and lose sight of the message, which is Christ himself, the servant king. And honestly, this has been a mistake that the church has constantly made, I would think, from Constantine onwards, through the centuries. I do remember standing in St. Peter's in Rome, with absolutely surrounded by complete and utter wealth, gold. I remember standing there and thinking, how in 300 years did the Christian church get from Jesus to this? And that's not to say that we don't here in Glendale have this temptation too. Of course we do. Of course we should do things as well as we possibly can. And we should aspire to growing the church, but we always have to be wary of style over substance. Jesus is fully human, 
and fully divine. On the one hand, we can look at him as an example of how to resist temptation. But he is also God. And in defeating the devil, he is pushing back the enemy to create a space and to hold that space where right action and behaviour is possible for you and me. Where it's possible for us not to give in to temptation. I was thinking about, we're hearing, aren't we, about what's called a sort of old-fashioned war in Ukraine. The soldiers reclaiming, pushing, almost metre by metre, it seems, at times, to reclaim a town. And once it's reclaimed, then the medical aid and all the other help can come in for the people in that place. They're creating a space for good to happen. In resisting these temptations and going on to the cross to complete the work of redemption, Jesus pushed back the enemy and made a holy space for you and me where real choice is possible. I just wanted to read a a sentence from, um, from this book, which I'm really enjoying, this Lent it's put so beautifully if Jesus were simply set before me as an example of heroic human human achievement I would despair his very success in resisting temptation would just make me feel worse about my failure but he is not only my example he is my saviour He is the one who takes my place and stands in for me. And in the mystery of redemption, he acts for me and makes up in his resistance to evil what is lacking in mine. The temptations that we face every day are not simply trying to entice us into committing this or that sin. They are trying to distract us from the path of being the disciples of Jesus. I think as we come to communion in a few minutes, let's be sorry for the ways in which we've given in this week. In word and deed and thought, in omission, the things we haven't done that we should have done. And let us recommit to the master who has gone before and has been tempted in all the ways that we are. Let us stand in that wide open holy space that he has won for us. Where we have freedom to choose. To choose the good and by the power of the Holy Spirit we are enabled to overcome. Uh, <clears throat> as I said, this book is a poem a day, and this poem is by Malcolm Geith. <clears throat> some of you might find it a bit weird. It's called Stones into Bread. I hope some of you will respond to this short poem before we go to communion. <clears throat> the fountain thirsts. The bread is hungry here. The light is dark, 
the word without a voice. When darkness speaks, it seems so light and clear. Now he must dare with us to make a choice. In a distended belly's cruel curve, he feels the famine of the ones who lose. He starves for those whom we have forced to starve. He chooses now for those who cannot choose. He is the staff and sustenance of life. He lives for all from one sustaining word. His love still breaks and pierces like a knife the stony ground of hearts that never shared. God gives through him what Satan never could, the broken bread that is our only food. Amen.